Welcome to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Before we start the episode, we want to issue a content warning for brief mentions of domestic violence and suicide. If you are able, we'd also like to invite you to stay to the end of the episode for a special musical number by Emery Quince. This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, religion, and all the things with me, Adam Smith. Since the ascension, people have used and twisted the work and words of Christ to fit our own beliefs and agenda. The recent rise of Christian nationalism has believers aligning the church with political conservative ideologies around LGBTQ rights, misogyny, racism, and the eliminations of women's health rights that have many confusing the flag and the cross. Today, we talk the church, the Christ, and the choices many are facing with Emery Quince and Laron Collier. Emery is a classically trained musician who found himself in church work as a worship pastor for over 10 years. After resigning two church positions, he is now working in tech sales and still has a passion to help others find their next chapters. Laron is a lifelong learner who spent the last 11 years working in higher education, supporting and developing students and staff. Laron considers his mission in his work and life to pour into others the way others have poured into him. Fellas, I'm honored you chose to get uncomfortable with us. Welcome. Good to see you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you making the time, Laron, Emery. Let's just get started. Um, Emery, can you talk a little bit about what your experiences are, your experiences in, and your history around the church? Kind of level set there. Yeah. So for me, I grew up in the church, grew up in the AME church, um, went with my family. My great-grandfather was one of the founding members of um, our church, Bethel AME in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, but I also attended Rogers Memorial Baptist Church with my cousins. And so that's just like my groundwork, gospel music, but like old school. Um, what we call Negro spirituals back in the day, <laughs> they were not actually Negro spirituals. Um, but we called them that because there were just a lot of old people. So I would say that too about my church experience is at even as young as a child, um, there were two things that were constant church was a safe space but church was also where all the old folks were and they were a little strict right and i I wouldn't go as far as saying legalistic you know back then of course but they were a little strict and so uh my experience was we went to church because that's what we did and so if i went to my cousin's house we were getting up and going to church If if i was at my grandparents house we were getting up and going to church. My mom was sending us to Sunday school. So I went because that's what I did. I uh, got into college and decided I don't have to go to church anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to skip a little bit, except then we started singing in church because it's what you do in college as a music major. So we sang in church a lot um, and, of course, went to chapel. I went to a Christian university, so there was still chapel and things like that. Um, so I still was in and around church, but I just wasn't strong in my churching, as I'll say, not my faith, but my churching. Um, and then I get out and find myself in church work after a little while. And so I've worked in church. Um, I've served in church since 2007, but been on staff in a church since 2011. Mm. What I'm hearing you say is similar to my journey. My grandfather helped build the church I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had sometimes a, a childhood of trauma and a childhood of sometimes fear. And after church, my mom would be a different person, right? Mm-hmm. Kind and loving and all these things. So church was a safe space for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a place of law or judgment it was a place of straight gospel where you could be who you were so i would look forward to church not just going to church but anything related to church whether it was being an acolyte or midweek school or vacation bible school or all the things church was just an extension of my home right and then going on and and 
at some point, you know, always having this connection with God and this understanding of not just the God Christ is, but the person he was. Um, but I was just a regular guy. And so my pastor said, you know, you should really be a pastor. And he would say this all the time to me. And I would say, I'm a sinner, man. I'm horrible. I mean, I'm listening to NWA and chasing girls and playing football. And at some point, I just realized that it was just, it was a gift of understanding that I had and a relationship that this personal relationship, just like you said, different, your faith and your church are two different things. My faith was this personal relationship with God, that he was the person I turned to when I was struggling and being abused. He was the friend I talked to all the time. And I would talk to him like I'm talking to y'all. It would just be like, God, this really sucks. How are you going to give me through? those kind of really honest conversations rather than these deity prayer conversations? So it really was in this place of relationship for me. So what you're saying really resonates. LaRon, go ahead, Emery, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I, I think that it, you said it best, and I don't I don't think that I articulate it like that even always, that it is a gift to really know God. And it's not one that you always experience at a young age. And I think that a lot of people knew the church and maybe even knew the Bible, but they didn't know God. And so when I look back to those times, like you're talking about having those conversations and I'm like, man, I thought I was so weird as a kid when I would do things like that. But I just knew God existed. And so when people talk about that, like salvation moment or conversion moment or whatever you come uh, come to Jesus moment, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think mine happened so young, I don't really remember it because I just always knew God was real and I always knew God was and I always knew Holy Spirit was just with me somehow, you know, right. so, yeah, yeah, that's really good. Laron, share a little bit about your experiences in the church and then how that's evolved in your history around the church in your life. Yeah, I can relate a lot to, to what you guys have said. It speaks volumes to where I'm at now with how much I kind of wrestled with just this question. It's just a simple question. Tell me your history about the church. But my lens from my history with the church has changed over these past couple of years as I reflect back and and really like dig into it. Because kind of like what you said, uh, Emory, is just you went to church. You know, I had young mom, single mom, you know, a couple kids, you get the kids to church and it takes a village. And, you know, that was my experience just growing up in the church. And I was naturally just a good kid rule follower, right? So I fell right on in, you know, you go up, you walk, you do the altar call, you you, you say you have that moment where you've been saved and you're going to get baptized because there's that social pressure, but, you know, it's got to feel real too. So there's, you know, it's a performance, but you don't even realize it's a performance because everybody is bought in to it. Uh, so I, and I would, I would say that my experience with church came in waves so I was always in church, kind of in, in a rural Kentucky country town, uh, grew up in, in a traditional Black Baptist church. Uh, and then when we got to high school, when you guys talked about uh, God becoming really personal, I think, you know, I'm the oldest of seven total. It's four of us. We grew up in the house together. And so part of it fell in line with, you know, you got to do right. You got to be the good example. And you you have to be perfect. And that kind of fell in line with, and that's not necessarily what people told me, but that's what I felt. I have to be the perfect role model, you know? So that means when I take this Bible, I'm, I'm going to make sure I, I don't do any of the sins, like w w list them out. I'm going to cut it out of my life. I'm, you know, whatever it is that I got to do to be the best example, to be the leader, I'll do it. But when I got into high school, we switched churches. And we started going to this local, uh, non-denominational, but it was more like Black Pentecostal. Uh, and it was the deliverance ministry. And it was led by a woman who had felt like she'd been called to the work. Her whole life started a church out of her, you know, bathroom, you know, out of her house. And it was wild, man. When I tell you, you know, speaking in tongues, laying on hands, getting them demons up out of there, it was, you know, praise, just like it was wild. So I go through that. And it was just so deep. I think I just so, got so personally invested in my God, like that conversation, like, no, God, like you are my God. And I, I had a couple of moments 
where I really just felt God in my life and, and saw him. And then, you know, I went to college and I had, I had a couple of bad experiences as I transitioned out of that church. And, uh, and then when I got into college, some of the college ministries, uh, I had some, some, some issues with, and that's where things kind of started to change for me a little bit right now, where I'm at right now is, you know, church, when I look at the building and I, I tried to go at, Adam and I talked about this the other day. I hadn't been to church in a while. COVID really gave us all the permission to do what we wanted, like take a break from church, right? Like, and so I went back uh, this past Easter, and the, the the choir started singing. I was feeling, I, I loved it. It was like okay. And then there were some other things that I noticed, but you just block it out, right? And then the way that the sermon that the preacher brought, I just, I couldn't even finish. I had to get up and leave. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that other stuff, but I'd say that that's kind of where I'm at now. Laron, that's really good. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, you talked about just being good. You know, I'm a good kid and this idea of sin, right? And if I don't sin, right? And sin really lives in this place of shame. But it also lives in this place of piety because those people are doing all the bad things. It's kind of like this whole conversation that's happening right now in evangelical spaces about people waiting for the end of days. It's like they're going to sit and get off on watching certain people go to hell. Well, I promise you, you won't see who goes to hell because then heaven won't be perfect. Okay? That's just how it works. We Judgment Day is happening every day. Because there's no time when you die. Take it from the theologian. I would tell you how this works. But it's the space of the shame and the guilt of sin. And it kind of lives in the space of piety. Because then if I throw away my secular music and I do these things and these things and these things, then I'm better than X. Talk a little bit, Laron, about the role that sin and shame plays and how it's harmful in some ways to people's development of identity, especially now that you have a young son. Talk about those pieces. Yeah, man, that's something that has been on my mind a lot recently. And when I talked about, when I was looking at that question and reflecting back on just looking at my lens of of how this, you know, I'm, I'm a good kid and I don't sin. And this idea, when you talk about the different identities who have been harmed by the church, it stems from this Christians getting hung up on which sins they want to, to mean more, right? Like we, we say all sins are equal, but we don't mean that, not in the church, because all sins are not equal. And when we you know get into some of the key components of like, okay, these are the big sins, right, that you don't do or that you can't, or I, you can't live in sin, right? You can sin, but if you live in sin, then that's when you're going to hell or that's when you're not really saved. And when you start to call people's identities sins and people's, you know, that's where it, it really, it really gets challenging. And and when you build a culture of this shame. So I, I grew up being shameful for how, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. And, and, and we're taught in the church that, yeah, and that's, you know, you're not good enough. And that's where Jesus comes in and that's where but man, I I was listening to Rob Lowe. I, th- I think that's the guy's name. He's, you know, who I'm talking about him. He's a bi- he's a big guy. Uh, went was a mega pastor and then got into some 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 mess with the Christians mm-hmm. because he said mm-hmm. a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I'll, I'll come back and correct if that's not the guy's name. But he had talked about how the psychology of that can be harmful as you're growing up when you are shaming yourself. And, and we'll we'll say don't shame. We'll say you're not supposed to be shame. You, you know, you feel guilty, you repent, and you move on. But there's a lot of shame that goes on there. There's a lot of embarrassment of like, oh, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Oh, I, I can't do it. So I feel like I'm I'm, I'm blabbing a little bit. But I, I think that when when I think about my son, what I don't want him to do is be so worried and caught up in what he's not doing right. And oh, I got to be doing this right. No, it's. Because that's I don't I don't really think that's how Jesus led when we look back at the stories. That's not how he did. That was everybody else. And I and I think if Jesus came here right now and walked up in a church, like what would he say? How would he feel? Well, if he was interviewing some Christians, I want to shout a little bit 
because I I am connecting with everything you're saying to kind of piggyback off the sun. Um, my, uh, you know, conversation, the, the children conversation, I, our son just turned five and I look at it now and I'm like, man, the, where the church is now was not where, where it was when I was five. And yeah, like I said, there, the, the older, the old folks, as we would have called them, the, the, the mothers and the aunties and whatever, they were strict, but they were strict, right? They didn't have this, like, they were just strict because they were old strip folks or whatever we're going to say. Um, that's what I experienced in church. You said it perfectly when you mentioned identity, because now I think it's been so twisted that people truly forget that our identity rests in Christ and they have started. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. I think pastors have started twisting it and manipulating it to find your identity in the church building. And that is not gospel. That is not my theology. If my identity is rooted in Christ, then it's rooted in Christ, not this building, not because what happens when this building is gone? What happens when a pandemic hits? What happens when we don't have enough money to pay the bills? And so we got to shut the church down or we merge with another church or what, you know, whatever. I don't want my son to go through that. I want him to have his identity rooted in what he knows and he feels and he experiences, not just the church building. And I think that's another thing, um, something you said that just kind of like it it lit a fire under me real quick, because um, I think that I watched it happen from a leadership. When I say like behind the scenes, I mean, like a leadership standpoint, watching how it's not just highlighting, because I used to say that, too. Oh, we pick and choose what sins are heavier than the others. No, it's even worse than that. We pick and choose what sin even is. And I say we because I'm approaching it from a grace standpoint and saying I'm a part of the collective, but it ain't me, it's them. But (laughs) this church leadership that is so twisted and chaotic is out here making people believe what that is a sin. And what we do is just, it's a mishap. We just had a misstep. We just got involved in this and it was a little twisted. Oh, we didn't know. You know, so I, I think that um, you're right on the money, man. I, I think you're right on it. It, it. Yeah, I want it to be different for my son. I want him to grow up with his identity rooted in something different than this fickle building. But also, I want us to just not be so uh, manipulative. <laughs> I don't want us to pick and choose what sin is and what it isn't. Um, right. And so, yeah. When Emery, to your point about your son, just like you're saying, if your identity is about the church, what if the church starts saying all lives matter and your black life doesn't matter? What if your son one day says to you, daddy, I'm not your son, I'm your daughter. And the church says, no, we don't accept that. If your identity is tied to a thing rather than a savior, right? Because that's just not how Jesus rolled. I mean, I've I've had many a conversation with my mom, right? And I said, there's nothing in scripture that Sodom and Gomorrah was about debauchery. It was not about who was loving who. But I've sat at many, an evangelical mixed church. I grew up Lutheran, Missouri Senate, as conservative as you can get, sat at Southern Baptist Church in the deep South Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and had pastors preach and joke about being queer, being trans, or being gay from the pulpit. We know the suicide rate among Black, trans, gay youth. If your identity then is rooted in that church, how we talked about, Emory, you and I around the same way, your church is home. If my identity is in that place and that place says, I am sin, who I am, who I love, my skin color, how God made me, because God didn't say that's a sin. The people in that building said that's a sin. Then we go hang ourselves from a tree or jump off a building. And so that's the really scary stuff that, and and the piece I wanted to ask you, Laron, is what a lot of people, my nephew was talking about this the other day. He said, when I was a Christian. And my mom was all upset. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. And I said, no, he he doesn't have to identify himself as a Christian. He believes in God. He loves Christ. He loves Jesus. But Christians have given Christ a bad name. Laurent, talk about what are your thoughts about 
young people, especially people who love the LGBTQ community, are feminists, love Black folks, believe in justice and equity, and are aware, i.e. woke, those folks feel like Christians are this other thing. And I have to disavow myself with Christianity and the church. And sometimes that also includes disavowing myself with Christ. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's been really interesting uh, as, you know, and I'm not old, but as I've gotten older and as I've matured, I just wonder, like, was was the world always this political? Were we always this divisive? And I think, you know, it's easy to say it's all, you know, it's worse now than it's ever been. And so I, I, I don't really know, but I just feel like every time, you know, a, a, a pastor wants to make a statement, it's it's some type of political stance. You've got to be either on this side or this side. It's either this or that. And I think that Christians, we paint this idea that you have to pick and choose. You have to take a stance. There's no gray, right? There's no gray in God. It's either it's either black or white. And, and that's why we have a thousand different denominations because, well, I've tweaked this little thing and you've got to be, you've got to be really right with God. Like I can, I can accept that you're over there and you're doing things. You say you love Jesus, but you're doing it wrong because you're not following this prescription. And I think when we when we think of this idea of Christians give Christ a bad, like that's part of it. I think the way that we act and say, like, you know, the, the biggest example is when we have the the something about Christ on the bumper sticker and we're cussing the people out because or we cut them off or we did, you know, and it that's just humans being broken. So I, I'm not as concerned about that. But what what has me more concerned is when churches and ministries feel like we have to we have to take a stance. We have to say, well, this is what this church does, and you can either get on board with it or you can get to step in. And and I think that is where I find myself really struggling with fitting into any community, even for the sake of my wife and kid. You know, I want my son to to learn some of the Bible stories and and to hear. Uh, you know, to see what worship look like looks like, and uh, and and being community and service, but but when you're all the time having to to pick these political you know views and and, and pick a side, it, it's really challenging. Mm, yeah, and I think that's that I I connect with that so much, Laron. One of the things that frustrates us because again, I worked in church for over a decade, but we don't go to we don't attend church right now. Um, I mean, we we watch church and, and it is not consistently. We are not attending a church building right now because of exactly what you're talking about. And it's because these pastors choose to take this stance that, like you said, is so political, but they reword it and they rework it so that it sounds so biblical, but it's really just political. And I would venture to say a lot of time it's connected to dollar bills and at least in my experience. And so we can't go to church because we have to filter out all of this, just all the stuff that just ain't Bible that these pastors are preaching from the pulpits, from the stages, from the platforms. And we're like, we're just trying to take our wife and kid to like get the word (laughs) and get a little bit of worship. And it's like, no, all of it is, it is attached to some political agenda, though we will sit in these churches that say there is no political agenda. And so it, it is it's it's frustrating, but it's also difficult, not just for my child, not just for my wife, but for myself. And it's hard to be a Christian partner, you know, a partner of faith when you feel like you lack faith community, but you mm-hmm. don't know how to find that faith community Um because it, it's just, I use the word chaotic a lot, but that's because I've just been in that situation too many times and it is chaos to me. Well, and it's, and it, it reminds me, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but it reminds me of an abusive relationship. You smack me around, say some harmful things, distort scripture and things that say, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, uh, follow the laws of the land. Come on. I had a pastor say that and quote that scripture about Trump. I was like, that is not, come on now. You have a, you, you pastor a church that's 60% black. Do you know that Bull Connor was an elected official? So we're supposed to just comply. Where, where would Jesus have been on the bridge, bridge in Selma? He would have been with the people 
or he would have been with Bull Connor and the dogs. They were elected. George Wallace was elected. So we're just supposed to stand. Jesus was a political revolutionary. He was the first <laughs> political revolutionary and the most radical and pushing against the man for power to the people, flipping tables and washing feet. So you can't tell me who that man was. He was Bobby Seale, Huey Newton, Nat Turner, all the things in one person. And he would have stood with the people. But you just keep telling, you're pastoring a church of brown people, a white guy, telling me that we just have to support Trump because he was elected. That Christian nationalism and that distortion, that's the part that's scary. Feeling like, okay, you go into a church because that's where we've been and that's where we feel comfortable and we need to be fed. And it's harder when I, when my wife and I got married, I would need to go to church because it was just like I needed that. But then I would go in with my shoulders up, just waiting for the abuse to happen. And then I get punched and hit. And then, well, we'll promise you, come on back, come on back, right? And then you go back and then you abuse me again. And then you go back. And the difference is as men, right? In this case, especially men grounded in scripture, I know one thing, I'm going to be held accountable differently if my wife and my kids don't love themselves and love God. And if I am leading them over the cliff, oh, that is not going to be good because those are those are God's babies, not ours. And I can't put them in those spaces. And so then you have to make those really, really hard choices, knowing that that level of abuse, right, is going to happen. Emery, you know, you go to church sometimes and you hear someone sing and somebody share and it's they're an outstanding singer. And you're like, that's fantastic. But when Emery sings, it's like Emery goes away and Jesus shows up. And he has gifts that I've, I mean, I've spent my whole life, I've never seen anything like this or felt anything like this. Because it is like Emery literally floats away and Jesus is sitting there talking to you directly through him. These are the gifts that he has. Emery, talk a little bit about how hard it's been to say, okay, I have to make some choices and take some breaks for my family and how that journey has affected you. Obviously, the trauma and disappointment has been a thing. The people have been disappointing, but I'm sure Jesus never disappoints. Wow. that You, you took it there, Adam. <laughs> I think you, you caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting to go there, at least just yet. I knew you would go there. Um, okay, so I will say this. It has been the hardest season I have ever walked through in my life. Um, and I've gone through some hard things. I, I used to think, you know, my parents getting a divorce, you know, growing up and just a, a lot of the things I went through growing up and um, had a, a very horrible car accident in 2006 and I, and so there are these like things that I always am like, man, that's the hardest season I ever had to live through. The hardest thing I ever had to live through. This is definitely the top of the list. And I don't know really how to perfectly articulate it. And I always get a little uh, flustered having this conversation because I automatically feel like I'm in the seat of church leadership. And so I'm having to speak on behalf of all of these people. Um, and also having to speak just correctly because I don't want to offend or hurt all of these other people. Um, so in this context, I'm just going to say it like I would say it to a couple of brothers that I'm talking to, which is it has been hard as hell. Initially leaving a church because I knew that our values didn't line up was some, I mean, it was something that I knew was coming, but the break that happened so quickly and you realize that these people you consider family, these people that were your community, um, they are just people at the end of the day and they don't love you like you thought they did. They don't love you like you love them. Right. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into leaving a church position that is so different than just walking away from a church. Because when I leave a church position, I am now signing paperwork, like legal paperwork that says, I can't even talk to you about why I left this church. 
Um, and so, and that's not to bash the church. I know that's been like up in, you know, in the news lately and people have been so frustrated about it. It's happening all over. But what I will say is I get the, the, we need to protect ourselves. I get that. Um, so, you know, you sign, you sign your paperwork, but then you've got all these people that are now writing their own narratives about why you left. And because they're human beings, typically we lean negative. And so they turn into these negative thought, you know, patterns and processes and, and scenarios and narratives and stories. And so you made a decision to leave because, hey, we just don't line up anymore. We're not vibing anymore. I wish you the best, but it ain't working for me and my family. But other people see that differently. And so they cut you off immediately and don't understand that you can't say anything about it. <laughs> um, that's toxic. And it's abusive. And I don't care how anyone tries to sell it legally, spiritually, whatever. It is emotionally um, abusive. And so and it puts you in a very sad place um, because you now feel very isolated. You just left faith community, bro. Like you didn't just leave a, a job at a at a, you know, some rinky dink job where you just kind of stood around the water cooler with your with your work friends your colleagues. You left a faith community. You worked there, but that was a place that God was doing work on you in with all these other people, because like Laurent said earlier, it takes a village. And so now you're isolated and you have no one to turn to except the people that already thought you were an idiot for working in church in the first place, who already thought you were crazy and excuse me for using that word flippantly but who thought you were crazy because you even believe in all of that white christianity stuff and so now you only got those people to turn to because everyone else has cut you off so you do what any human being looking for community does you turn to those people that will that will surround you and so then you find yourself in this really murky water because this ain't exactly where i want to be but at least they open their arms to me. And so now I'm trying to piece these things together. This thing is completely broken. And now I'm trying to piece it together and help my wife piece it together. And we're piecing it together by ourselves, standing in this community of people who are like, yeah, I'm glad y'all finally left. Y'all was stupid for doing that. Um, and so it it put it, it's been the hardest season I've ever walked through. It has made me second guess so many choices that I made, so many things that I said. I think about the smallest of conversations. Um, you mentioned suicide earlier, and I think about, you know, a, a former church member that passed away due to suicide. And I think about the conversations I had with him that were basically regurgitated things that I heard from church leadership. That I would have never said, but I was like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to say. Got to cover ourselves, you know, got to cover our own butts. So I think about those conversations. I think about the conversations with the young people. I think about conversations with leadership. And I just wish I'd handle all of it different. So now you're in this place where you're isolated, you're pulling pieces together, and you're wishing you had done something differently. And you're also trying to figure out how to pray. How do I pray through this? Nobody, you don't, you don't find out how to pray through this when you go to conferences, because everyone talks about praying and worshiping through your hard times and your trials and tribulations, but nobody actually gives you practical advice because all of the practical advice you've given me now from the pulpit rests on joining a connect group, a small group, a home group, whatever you want to call it, or joining a serve team at the church. But I don't have those anymore because y'all cut me off real quick. So what do we do now? Right. And so it is just it's this it's this space and place and time in life that you are trying your best to cry out to God. But you don't know how you don't know the prayers to pray because no one's really walked you through this. You've never walked through it. You don't know the you don't know how to worship your way out of it. And you don't have anybody beside you. And thank God that my wife and I had each other. Thank God. Because I've seen too many people do it alone and they don't recover well. 
and it's taken us a long time to heal, a really long time, so much so that we're still healing. <laughs> um, but it's taken us a long time to heal. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm just running on, but that that's what no. it is. It's, it's been the most challenging season. Um, and, the, and then you have family members who are like, but you were a pastor, but you love Jesus, but you prayed for us. And, and, and who's going to do this? And who's going to pray for healing? And who's going to pray? And so they're trying to push you back in it because they don't want you to forget what God is. I will never forget what God has done for me. But I have to forget some of the places where God did those things for me. Some of that land ain't flowing with milk and honey anymore, baby. Right. There's some bitter waters happening now. And so I got to step away from that. And so I don't I'm not going to build a monument, you know, in in the murky waters anymore. And that's what I've had to tell myself, um, which has been hard again, because I do miss church. I miss the community aspect of church. I do not miss being on church staff. Good Lord, I don't. Um, I I do not miss the responsibility. And I dang sure don't miss waking up that early on Sunday mornings. But I miss the community. I miss a faith community. I miss feeling like, man, these like 50, 100, 500, 1,000, whatever folks in this room, we're all going somewhere together. We all come from different places and backgrounds and we have different stories and talents and gifts, but we are all going somewhere together. I miss that, right? Like, yeah, it's great to have your wife with you and we're powering through your partner, your spouse, whatnot, but it, it there's there's a power in numbers. There's power in numbers. And so it feels good to have like a bigger number around you and you feel like you're going somewhere together. You're growing together. Man, we just marched through the book of Matthew together and we dug in the book of Isaiah and we pulled some stuff out that I had never seen in my 30 plus years, you know, almost 40 years of 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 life on this earth. And you don't have that anymore. You have you and your your spouse sitting at home with a Bible and a pastor on TV <laughs> on YouTube, you know, and you're just like, hmm, let's take some notes. Let's do a little Devo. Um, so, yeah, it's been hard. Man, I, there's so many things I was trying to like, OK, yep, I got to bring that up as you were talking, because just I resonated with a lot of what you were saying. Uh, I want to go back to the growth thing that you brought up. But first, addressing this this idea of, man, the church is called some harm. And can we acknowledge that? Can we? And I'm not even talking about to some marginalized identities. I'm talking about to individuals. You know, I experienced experienced kind of what you had talked about that cold, like, oh shoot, I just when I was in high school, from like you know, my second half of my freshman year all the way through, I spent about twenty, maybe more hours a week in church. And this is a small community. I mean, just invested, just digging, just growing, like doing what I thought we needed to do. And I go to college, a semester goes by, I don't get a phone call from anybody. You know, some things happen with my family. They end up leaving the church. They're, to this day, I still haven't heard from some of them folks. And I'm like, as a, as a young man that you invested so much in, there was so much a part of what you all were doing. He leaves your community and, and you just have nothing for him. And now that, you know, his family has gone. So he's not coming when he, you got nothing. Like, are you kidding me? And I've had, you know, I've heard some stories about or not heard some stories. I had some of my, you know, people that are close to me go through some things in the church and I won't call call them out by name. But, you know, they they go through a struggle and they were in a leadership position in church. And the church basically is like, all right, you got to drop your leadership position. And if you want to stay, if you want to stay with your wife, you got to do X, Y and Z. And I'm like, hold up. So so they're doing Okay, I see we're doing that. And then fast forward a couple of years, like we look back at how harmful and how isolating that was, how non-supportive that was. And we do it in, in the name of Christ. And I think that's where when we say folks give Christ a bad name, these Christians give Christ a bad name is because we are not Christ. We cannot. But we try to imitate. We think and we act like we're doing what Christ would want us to do. And we and in a sense, like. We force people, we demand that you accept me as your uh, mirror to Christ in this lifetime. There's no one else, nothing else. Forget even some of that stuff you read in your Bible. Forget what your Sunday school teacher told you, because I am the image of Christ. For mm. you. And even more, forget what you know. 
Right. See, because we we were yes. talking about all three of us, right? We grew up with this personal relationship. I know some Jesus. Okay. That's the Laurent knows the only person gonna tell me in my day job what to do with students is Jesus. I know what Jesus has called me to do. I know who he is, I know who he was, right? Those are those are two separate things, who he was as a man and who he is as a God, right? But I know where he stood. And in the end, that's the law I follow, right? That's the expectation. But that expectation is not done out of fear or judgment. That's done out of response to, you did all this for me, a poor, miserable sinner? Shoot, what, who am I? Who am I to not speak truth to power? Who am I to not stand up for things? Who am I not to love other people? Who am I, right? Those are the pieces for us that are so hard. There's this great quote, um, Joyce Myers is interesting, but Joyce says this thing, the one thing you can count on with people is that they will always disappoint you. And I think the hard part, Emery and Laurent, you the same way, I think what I continue to hear is that you you miss the community, but then there's this part of you that realized the community was bullshit the whole time anyway. The whole time. And, and one thing you're saying, because I want LaRon to keep going, but um, you were saying the who am I? Who am I? Who am I? That's That's one of the tactics, though, because they get you in there and they assimilate you so fast that you forget who you are. So for who cares about forgetting Christ? You don't remember who you yourself are. And so, and I, and it's a tactic and it's very strategic and it is not just a, oh, Emory, you think this. No, I've heard it spoken in conferences, in really large conferences. Assimilation is a tactic and it's supposedly this like, hey, come in looking like you and walk out looking like Jesus. But it's not that at all. When you get in there, what you realize is that I'm not being assimilated to the likeness of Christ Jesus. I'm being assimilated to the likeness of whatever this church leadership says I should be doing and who I should be. But they hide it behind, well, this is who Jesus was. This is our interpretation of who Jesus was and who you need to be. So get up there there and be my token, please. Or (laughs) get up there and hold those signs. Or get over there and make that cup of coffee. Because who you were doesn't matter anymore because that was your old self. Remember that your old self, you died to him. So a long time ago. So don't worry about that. And so, yeah, I keep going around. But that, that I just wanted to say that, Adam. Well, I think that speaks right on to, you know, I, I feel like in this in this segment of this conversation, we're talking about the harm done to individuals. And when I look at the large population of our, our young black and brown folks that grew up in church, when you, when you talk about, I heard you say, pray harder, be more faithful. You just gotta, you know, you just gotta get on your knees. You're not, you're not praying hard enough. And, you know, that's replaced what, you know, mental health awareness, like, oh, it, what, what do you mean? You, you, you're struggling, you're depressed, honey, you ain't, you ain't letting Jesus take over enough. Are, are, are we, are you kidding? And, and how many, how many adults now can't do and especially i'm thinking of like you know our our black women and how they have they have this mantra of like I, i've got to be a rock i can't let anybody see the pain i feel inside I, I can cry at home when i go out i don't i don't cry and i don't talk to a therapist because i go you know i go talk to grandma and and and, and jesus is my therapist and this this false idea that you can struggle like you can be who you are and and i loved what you said about this idea come in as you and you walk out looking like jesus and it's like jesus made you right jesus made you and your unique, or god made you and your unique personalities and he wants you to be you right like he's gonna come you're gonna come out being you and that's how we glorify him I, i found myself recently asking the question of like you know god really what do you want from me uh i i know that well, you know, the the regular answers that we would give uh, and we were supposed to love and we're supposed to. But when you just really think big picture, like what is it that, that God that you want for me? And I and I think that church a lot of the time misses a, a big piece of that um, because we are too focused on all of these things that we have to do, the political things that we have to to say. But we're we're not focused on just the actions of love. But go ahead, Adam. And, and we forget, like, if so. Who do you want me to be in the places that you've already placed me? 
right? So it's like you gave me, you you opened the door to this job. Okay, how do you want me to work you into this mix? How do I bring the light here? Oh, you have me in this relationship. You have me in this friend group. You have me randomly at this grocery store today. How do how do you how am I working the light? How am I working Holy Spirit into this moment, right? And God ain't stupid. And so God does this on purpose. But when we get into church, a lot of times it is only about how God wants you to work in this building. And I think that's dangerous. That's right. But then people don't know how to act when they leave. The, they don't, they right. don't know how to act when they leave the building. So well, and act, act a whole ass when they leave the building and do harm to people and to others, right? The reality is he loves me no matter what. So all my response to that undeserved love is to love back, but also to flip some tables and to say, no, 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 no. We ain't rolling like that. One of the pieces that, Leron, I wanted to talk about quickly is because you talked about growing up in small town Kentucky, and you and I have had these conversations about, you know, um, patriotism. You know, we have a country that was supposedly, supposedly founded to separate church and state, and more than anything, to keep the state out of the church's business and let the church do what the church wants to do. But now we've distorted all of this, right? We're a country founded on Christianity, and we're going to enforce our values on everybody, and we're going to tell people the most intimate things about their lives that are between them and God and their partner and sometimes their doctor, yet we don't want them to take our AR-15. I read a book and when I was doing my doctoral work that was talking about confusing the flag and the cross, that you aren't a good patriot if you aren't a Christian. Right? You can't be a patriot unless you're Christian, and you can't be a Christian unless you have this blind loyalty to America. Talk a little bit about your experiences. Man, that's that's a lot. And I I wonder, I don't think I'll I'm not answering this directly, but I'll I'll kind of pitch some thoughts and, and pitch it back to you guys about when I really examine, you know, colonialism. And then I look at today's time and and you really start to see how things are about. I'm like, how how is this much different? Like we are using the tools of religion and racism and patriotism to control people. And it's this this narrative that's being built and people get so tangled up in the emotions of it that they don't see that it is a form of control by people who want to keep us discontent and, and arguing and, and, and divided. So they can't see all, we can't see all the corrupt things going on a big picture level. Uh, and so I, when I think about like this idea and, and interactions, which to be honest with you, Adam, I haven't been in church for a while. And so I haven't had to come up against some of these conversations, you know, when, when Trump was I'm, you know, we were in COVID and and Trump was elected and I'm kind of glad I wasn't in church. I'm kind of glad I didn't have to hear what, like, if I think of some of my, my people back home, like, it would have been hard. It would have been hard to be able to get on board with this group think. And that's what it is. And I just wonder where the growth is. I was always, when I was younger, the 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 pastors, they always really loved how inquisitive I was about the word. And I was always asking questions and I was curious but all of a sudden, curiosity, it goes too far. And once you get older, just kind of like at some point where, you know, a kid acting bad when they're like two, it's cute. But, you know, five, six, it, it ain't cute no more. It's almost like that curiosity, like, oh, it's cute. And it's until it hits to, to a level where you're asking some real questions, either wanting to break down theology or break down the practice of how we're running a ministry and then it's like, whoa, now, like you can push back, but only push back so far. And that's when you need to stop and just have faith. And that was so damaging for me and my journey when I would get to a roadblock and, and it would say like, okay, now you just got to say, I don't know, just have faith. Like, how do you, where, where is the growth in, in that? So I, I just threw out a couple of things. I, I'd be curious to hear y'all's like reactions, responses as well. I, I think you use that phrase breakdown. And that immediately made me think about um, something that my spiritual dad, Pastor Daryl Arnold, told me uh, when I took my first church, like vocational position, whatever church, 
first page her job. And he said, don't forget your word, Emory. Don't get out there and just be a singer. Anybody can lead worship, but you need to know that word. And I was like, okay. It took me years to understand what that man was trying to tell me. And it wasn't because in the moment I thought, oh, yeah, he just wants me to, you know, be coming from this well of like biblical wisdom and all. It was so spiritual and deep. And I don't know if that was the truth. I've, I've actually never said this to him. So hopefully he'll listen to this and and, um, and and can give his own like insight. But I don't know. But what I think later I thought I, I looked at it and I said, man, he wasn't telling me to know my Bible because I didn't know my Bible. He was saying, keep reading, keep learning, keep digging, because that exactly what you said is how you break down. Some walls have to be taken out from underground. I'm convinced of it. And so I think when we keep digging in, we start breaking down walls that were put up to hold us in. Um, because in the church realm and in the spiritual realm, I, I, wholeheartedly believe the walls are put up to hold us in, not out. Um, we, we're very inclusive nowadays. We're very multiracial and multicolored and, and accepting and diverse. Um, so, but I think when you get in there, it's like, yeah, but we need you to be this version of Laron, this version of Adam, this version of Emery. But if you keep digging at some point, you're going to hit the base and that wall is going to come down and, and they know it. So they don't want you to dig. They don't want you to break down anything. They don't want you to keep learning. They don't want you to keep reading. They want to spoon feed you everything. How many times do we go to church and feel challenged? Because it stopped happening. Like I used to feel that way. I'd be like, man, I want to go home and I want to just dig into this. And like, I know Pastor Arnold is right because he can, that man can preach, but like, now I want to see what I feel about it. Like, Holy Spirit, you tell me what I should think about this. Or the only challenge is I'm not living right enough. I'm not doing right enough. Like, that's the challenge. It's not about growing in the way. It's about I'm not doing right enough. Yeah, because as long because then you can just shape up, get it together, right? And so it's like I realized that I stopped being challenged. And so I I, I made it everything in the in the world. It was me. Oh, I'm not full anymore. Oh, I'm just not listening because I work in church now. Oh, it's just because I'm a worship leader now. No, I think that it's, it's a, again, it's a tactic. It is, let me spoon feed you because this is what I want you. I mean, you are what you eat. We know that physically, we know that spiritually, we know that emotionally, whatever. You are what you eat. And so if I spoon feed you only these little bits, then Laurent can't get bold and bad enough to tell me anything. So he will go down with this ship and for the, he will martyr himself for this ship. Forget what Christ said about it. Well, and it becomes, it was some of the hardest parts because, you know, I have a theology degree from a Lutheran school. So when I say Lutheran, people understand theology. Okay, come on now. That was a harder undergrad to get than a biology undergrad. Okay, four years of Greek, six years of Hebrew. They, the doctor's just saving lives. I got to save souls. That's how a Lutheran views it. And so it became really hard to, it, I still can't quote chapter and verse, but I know who Jesus is. And I can go read the Greek version and say, no, 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 no. My daughter said to me one day, she was um, talking about what she wanted. Right. And I want this, 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 and this. And I said, Well, honey, you know, let's picture life being a checklist. And you just say there's 50 things possible in life. You're doing pretty good. You got two master's degrees, you own your own home, you know, you have your parents are healthy, you're healthy, you know, all these things. So what are you willing to give up that's checked for this thing that's unchecked? She said, Why well, can't I have all of them checked? Because that's heaven. And she said, well, doesn't God give us the desires of our heart? I said, well, well, let's not distort scripture. You're talking about desires of your mind. Your heart is what keeps you alive. God only knows what your heart needs. I don't know what my heart needs. 
My daddy knows what my heart needs. That's the intimacy. You See, you're talking about English. I'm talking about the Greek that that was written in. And he is talking about the deepest form of the sustenance of pumping oxygen in and out of your body, what your body needs. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, I want a boyfriend or I want a car. I want to pray for more money or whatever it is. That is not. That's what your mind wants, which is sinful. What he is talking about is what your heart needs to keep your brain and your body alive. And he is the only one who knows that. And that's where you surrender. That's where the promise of Romans 8, 28 that says, you know what? All things are working for the good if not everything will be good. But then it's the covenant part, if you love him and you follow his purpose for your life. That's it, Carol Dweck growth mindset before it even happened. It's just about perspective. So Emery, regardless of what choices you wish you made, the people didn't do anything to you that your daddy didn't allow. The question is about the if. You control the back end of the if. If you love him and you follow his purpose, God, what you want me to know? What you want me to see? Because I promise, I know you, Emery Quince. If it happened again, you ain't going to do the same way. We know that. So talk a little bit, Emery, because you talked a little bit about big donors. And I want to, I want to, you know, with my daughters, you know, God gives us the desires of our heart. Talk about a little bit of the roles of money and this whole prosperity gospel piece. If you do right and you pray to God enough, you will have stuff, right? And it's all of, and the stuff isn't even vacations and buildings and houses, and we're going to call ourselves a nonprofit, but make millions of dollars every year. The stuff is also you know, wearing jeans to church now and being hip and wearing the trucker hat and all these vibes where everybody kind of looks like they are the same. Oh, gosh, I don't even know where to start. I think as far as um, going back to the the money piece and like the prosperity, you know, gospel piece, I think I always go back to that same route. It's assimilation. Right. So um, and, and not that it's I, I don't think it's always, you know, malicious because, you know, for myself, there was nothing malicious. I was just fitting in the role. But I went and bought the the all black outfits in the denim jackets. I have a million and one pictures in that same outfit. And it's so funny because now people are like, oh, that's the worship leader outfit. And I'm like, y'all, we were saying that like 10 years ago because it was and it, and it is still uh, in some places still. Um, but I think the thing with the prosperity gospel that gets a little toxic, um, a little dangerous is that like name it and claim it vibe like you just say you want it and you got it and that's not actually how this thing called life works and that's not how this thing called hard work works most of you at this point and it's a it's almost a public not laughing stock but you've heard of the secret that book that <laughs> our church did a study a series of like six weeks where we dove into the secret we watched a little video we read the books and you know spiritualized it and like, I look back over that. I'm like, we really did that. Like, we were really that name it and claim it type, get in the right mindset. And when I was reflecting on it, and, and you guys can hear a theme of, I've been doing a lot of zooming out and thinking big picture, but I'm like, where did that come from? And I think back to specifically for Black people in America. And, and when I look at, like, how religion is, why religion, and I'm not talking about spirituality, I'm not talking about Christian, I'm talking about, like, why religion is still necessary for humans is because sometimes we need some folks who ain't right in their head to be morally bound to do right because that help that has helped evolve our society like right we are generally better people because we got these people kind of blindly following these set of moral rules so but when you think about black people in america they came from slavery and they were taught you know the white man's christianity and it became, well, it, well, no, you can't come to our church. So it became our thing. And then it became about hope. You know, you hear a lot of stories in the Bible and then you see a lot of stories throughout human history about how hope, collective hope transformed a community. It allowed a community to get through trauma, to get through pain. And I think that this, this form uh, or this name it, claim it, big money. What did you say? Prosper? What, what was it? What did you say? Prosperity gospel. 
that is a distorted view of like the hope of Christ. And I'll just leave it there because, man, we could go so far into into some of these topics, but that's some of my thoughts. Fellas, thank you all so much for joining us. One thing, Laron, Emery, I told you both, you were going to meet your brother today. You both have sons that are the same age. Um, you know, both great men of God, men of Christ. I appreciate you sharing your hearts today, being a reflection of who he is as a God and who he was as a man. Um, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between Adam Smith and me, Rachel Hansen. There are a number of ways that you could support the show, and we would appreciate any support you could give. Uh, you can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can send us an email, and our email addresses are in the show notes. Or you can share an episode with a friend. This will help us to build community and promote true healing through uncomfortable conversations. Until next time, stay uncomfortable. God of creation, there at the start before the beginning of Fleshed out the wonder of life And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath the planets fall If the stars were made to worship so loud I can see your heart in everything you made Every burning star is sitting on fire of grace If creation sings your praises so
down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On the hill you created, the light of the world abandoned to darkness to As you speak, hundred billion failures disappear. But you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so. Child, you.